Hello, hello, and welcome back to Art on a Podcast, the podcast created by Art on a Postcard. I'm going to get straight to it today because I have such a special guest on and we chat about such a huge and interesting array of uh, topics all pertaining to the Hepatitis C Trust, which is the charity that Art on a Postcard has um, helped raise funds for since its conception. Um, so in today's episode, I interview Hep C Trust CEO, Rachel Halford. I've known Rachel for the many years. I've worked at the Trust now, but I am never able to keep up <laughs> with the nationwide schemes that she heads up and down the country with an ever-increasing um, um, amount of staff. I always find it very inspiring and also gratifying as well to be working for such an essential and hard-working charity like the Hep C Trust. Working in prisons and with vulnerable people, helping them get tested and treated for a totally curable but potentially fatal illness. Um, as Rachel says in the episode, no one needs to die from hep C, but people do. And that waste of life is unnecessary. Um, as Rachel explains, also the trust work goes beyond testing and treating. They also provide round-the-clock support um, in peer-to-peer groups on our helpline, manned by Samantha May and many others who work tirelessly providing information, um, emotional, mental support to people who have been affected by hep C. It was only recently I had a conversation with someone about the charity that I work for and they started saying, yeah, I know, it's awful. My mum caught it after she drank some dodgy water in India. Um, it's like, mm, it doesn't, doesn't quite work like that, but, um, I'm, I'm sure they were ill, but I'm not sure what they had, but it's the chance that it probably wasn't hep C if it came from water. Um, but anyway, this is just testament to how difficult it is to eradicate a virus out of the UK when the UK are in general totally unaware as to what it even is. Um, Rachel and I had such an interesting chat in this episode. She's a truly inspiring woman and she talks a bit about the history of the Trust as a patient-led, patient-run organisation, what's happening to the charity sector during lockdown, how the coronavirus pandemic has offered up some interesting opportunities to reach homeless people for blood testing, um, a silver lining some might say, and how we are edging closer to our goal of eliminating hep C from the UK by 2025. As I said before, this is the cause that 100% of our auctions goes towards. That's something that I'm really proud of. So take yourself over to artonapostcard.com, either during this chat, having it on in the background, or after you finish listening, or at some point today, just Go and take a look at some of the gorgeous artwork we have included in our summer auction ending on the 9th of July. You don't have long and you don't want to miss out on some seriously fantastic art framed in one of our bespoke frames for just an extra additional cost of £10. This is um, an opportunity that only comes around three, four times a year whenever we have auctions, so make sure you don't miss out. If you've been affected by anything in today's episode and you want to talk about it, you can find out any information about hepatitis C or get in touch um, via one of the helplines and find out there, there, are, there are numbers there that you can call and the website is 
hepctrust.org.uk. It couldn't be more simple and we are always here to listen to any queries, calls, frustrations, anxieties and worries you have regarding hepatitis C. So, enjoy the episode um, and let me know what you think. Um, rosa.tor at hepctrust.org.uk. Enjoy. So how how's the trust been um, functioning um, under lockdown guidelines? So we, I mean, it, I think it, what's been really interesting is is that when it came to lockdown, it was actually much easier to lock it down than it has been um, opening it up again. But if I, if I kind of give you a little overview of what we did, so when when the alerts first came out, you know, the first thing we did was I mean, not the first, but what we did all along was we followed the government guidelines. Um, and very quickly, we did assessments on all of our staff, you know, um, in terms of uh, who was staff who needed to shelter either for themselves or for family members. So first and foremost, we did that. Um, and, you know, and then we followed the instructions. Everybody went and worked from home. Most a lot of people work from home anyway. But um, things like the people or people like those that go and work in prisons, the prisons were shut down. So everybody kind of knuckled down and worked at home. But within that, um, we were really concerned about the clients that we were working with, um, patients and receiving their medication, and then also our own peers, you know, our own peers, volunteers, who quite often um, have got a really low income. So what we, what we did was we straight away, we, um, we maintained contact with everybody via phone. We went out, out of, we bed borrowed and stilled and brought some mobile phones so that people could stay in contact, um, you know, and so that particularly, particularly wow. peers, um, for the peers and the patients that we knew were really struggling. Um, sorry, Rachel, just to clarify, the peers are the people who you outreach to in places like prisons. and the peers, peers are people who volunteer for us. They're okay. people with loved experience, lived experience. So our workers are peers, but they're paid peers. And then we have a huge cohort of peer volunteers. Mm -hmm. so, um, and then the people we work with, you know, they're either clients or patients. But, you know, really, if you're working with them on a one-to-one, -one, we tend to call them clients now. Okay. So we're working to support them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, they, so they were all provided with mobile phones. That sounds so, great. That sounds so we made sure that they all had mobile phones and that they could um, have contact. We also delivered food parcels. Um, we went out, got food parcels, so that and left them on people's doorsteps. You know, so we had to. What we had to do alongside it. I mean, I guess the thing was the internal structure of the organisation meant that because of our client group and you know our peers, etc. Um, very quickly, we had to um, formulate uh, COVID policies, po COVID procedures. We had to put in place risk assessments. We had to secure PPE equipment because there, you know, there was no way that we weren't going to stop that we were going to stop working. But what we had to do as an organisation was make sure that we, were, you know, we were protecting our staff as well. So we were working in a really safe way. So, you know, during the initial weeks, we were providing lots and lots of uh, support in our via phones. We were delivering food parcels and also we were delivering medication. So what was happening in some of the hospitals, not men, not all of them, but some of them because 
it, what, what's become apparent since, you know, co since COVID has kind of subsided slightly is that there have been hospitals that have been really badly affected and the, the uh, hepatitis C teams that we work with have all been deployed to work on COVID. And then there have been other areas where actually COVID has had no impact on the hepatitis C team. And okay. I, I guess that's about the prevalence in the area um, where it's hitting, you know, and as we all know, London is, had, was particularly badly hit. So in London, for example, um, uh, patients were unable, the, the clinicians and the, t the hepatitis C teams were deployed over to COVID, which meant that there was no way of medication. You know, people could either come and get their medication, but actually that was really dangerous in itself as well. So we struck up an arrangement whereby we could go and pick up the medication from the hospital and then deliver it to the individual patients. Wow. We actually managed to do that for quite a few people, which was, you know, which was a fantastic, fantastic thing to do because, you know, A, you're protecting and you're supporting the patients, but also, you know, we're working in partnership with, you know, the clinicians and the hospitals. I think one of the things for me that, you know, particularly over the last few years is the only way we're going to reach elimination is if we all work together. You know, and there's been a really big push, you know, and, and one of the things I think that's come out of COVID has been the most incredible partnership working. Um, one of the yeah. things that we've done internally, I'll, I'll come on to the homeless hostels in a minute, but one of the other things we did internally was that we utilise Zoom. And I know it sounds a weird thing to kind of include within it, but actually it's been really important because you know, if you've got a national organisation with a staff team of kind of 60 people, it's really difficult to support them and to have some kind of day-to-day -day structure when people are, you know, by and large are being told they have to work from home. And what we, did, what we managed to do was to pull together a, a whole schedule of activities and our days have started with, a, a, you know, an a optional, you can access, a, there's a meditation at 8.30 in the morning, there's a check-in at 10 o'clock, both of which are kind of quite loose and um, open and you can go in and just talk about yourself. It doesn't have to be work, but they're just kind of good check-in points. Then, you know, on Mondays and Tuesdays, there's been some kind of compulsory, but, but some training sessions, things that we wouldn't normally get an opportunity to train on or bring the teams together with. We then had team meetings three days a week. So Southern, Midlands, Northern, and then on Fridays, we kept the whole day for um, for peers. So we made sure that all these all the phones that we got, the peers could use them and access Zoom so that they could also take part in all of the sessions that we did for staff and then actually have their own day on the end of it. Um, so it's been a really, it's been a great way of including peers, you know, in all of the stuff that we've done to keep our staff, you know, to keep staff safe and sane. Yeah, um, definitely, it's so important. Yeah, which has been fantastic. On a positive, you know, the other thing that came about, which you'll know about anyway, I'm sure, was the housing of the homeless. So quite quickly, the homeless were, well, not quick enough probably, but quite quickly, all the homeless people across London were moved off the streets and put into hotels or hostels if there was space, but there's an awful lot in hotels. And very quickly, there was a group of um UCHA with UCHL with the find and treat ban, Mortimer Market. So a group of um, clinicians, outreach workers, and the Hep C Trust. Um, and you know, it was the it's such a great opportunity to 
when, with, with homeless people to address all their needs that never get addressed. So that's, you know, substance misuse, it might be physical health, but within that also BBV testing. So testing for hepatitis C, hepatitis B, HIV, and then also syphilis as well. It was a fantastic way to provide the support that, you know, this really marginalized group desperately need and very rarely get because they're, because they're so difficult to reach. And that, you know, and services aren't set up to reach, to work with them in that way. Um, and I think probably it's about five weeks ago now. Um, so a team was pulled together and over the last five weeks, we have been working with this team and it's changed as we've gone across different boroughs or different ODN areas. And currently, you know, so as from last week, we had taken part in 29 testing events across London. Um, that 399 people had been tests had been done on those people. Um, wow. Found with hepatitis C and with hepatitis B and with HIV. Um, London was the first place to do it. So the rest of the country was the impact of COVID was slightly um, later than it was in London. And what we've seen since then is, is so our workers have been out on a daily basis for the last probably six weeks now across the country, going into the hotels or hostels and doing testing events. So, you know, so essentially it's just been such a fantastic opportunity just to um, address all the health needs of um, people who people who are generally on the streets or homeless, being on the streets is homeless anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Um, our outreach band has been out and about as well for the last month. So that's also about working with people who are harder to engage. But we also have a needle exchange on there. So, you know, because I think that, you know, because it was this thing of like everyone had to lock down, you know, and within that people who need or were accessing drug services on a day to day basis, there's been a really big shift. You know, I, I don't envy the process that the drug services had to go through. It was hard enough to shut down the trust, but to shut down a drug service, which has got thousands of clients, people who are on scripts, people who need testing. I mean, testing in terms of have they been using, so can I give them the script? It's so complicated. Um, so, I mean, it, it's been incredible to for us to be able to do the bit that we've done in what has been such a hard time for everybody. Yeah. But in saying that, I have to say, I think what's come out, what, as we come out the other side, I think there's been a lot of creativity. I was speaking to an ODN lead um, in Newcastle uh, the other day, last week, and he had managed to treat everybody in his prisons, you know, during this period, because he'd had them tested, or they were tested while they were in the prison. They took, a, you know, there's telemedicines. We've had telemedicine around for years. And perhaps it hasn't been utilised as much as it could have been. I mean, I know they ran it in London, um, but he'd been running it up there. So he used his telemedicine. They um, went through, you know, kind of all the pre-checks, et cetera, and then just treated them during this lockdown period. Yeah, totally. And I suppose as well, it's like you're saying, though you haven't been able to get into the prisons as much as you'd have liked to, or as much as you were before, this has given a chance for you to reach other people, the homeless people, who yeah. you wouldn't have otherwise been able to get out to. So, yes. so we didn't, the prisons went on complete lockdown. They, they call it command mode and it was completely locked down. I mean, it was, 
you know, it doesn't bear thinking about. I mean, for a lot of prisoners, there was kind of a 23 day, 23 hour lockdown per day, um, at least, you know, and I can't imagine what it would have been like. But, you know, it, what does that mean? Just by your in your own cell, does that mean? Yeah. I mean, quite often, there's quite a few people who aren't on their own cell, but locked up, you're in your cell. Oh my god! Because the, well, because I mean, I suppose you know there was the, there's the capacity issue in terms of um, prison staff. You know, if if prison if they had an issue with people going down with COVID, then you've got the risk of people catching COVID. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we were unable to go in. So what we did with all the prisons was so there's there's there are systems in place. So there's email a prisoner. There's prison phone lines, and we have a prison phone line which we opened up um, helpline. It's a prison helpline. Right. Um, she used to run kind of limited hours. We opened it up for 16 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, we used the email a prisoner system, which meant that we could send emails into prisoners. We sent letters in, we sent cards in, we wrote newsletters and sent them out and disseminated them across the trust. We just used other forums that we use, but we don't use in this, we don't use as often as we have done over the last, what is it, 12 weeks yeah and that's we are so, now just beginning to go back in yeah that's really great to hear because it's like um some listeners might not have been following us since the women's auction but obviously we focused a lot in the women's auction on the prison team with jane yeah. and julia we made a little film and um followed them to bristol to see the work that they do there and i know that as well as testing and treating um the prisoners um a lot of what our prison team does is a lot more holistic than that there's yes. a lot more sort of social yes. care and things so yes. it's great to hear that you were still able to keep up at least some i know it's not the same as being in the room with them but um working around it so that they could receive letters and things i know that would be really important to jane and julia to keep that up yeah it was really limited and but you know as you say we have managed to do something and jane's spent the time working on a um uh, Hep C for Women, um, I don't want to call it a newsletter, it's more like a little magazine, um, which I think is fantastic. So I, I suppose that's another positive is, is that, you know, the negative being that you can't get there, but the positive is you have time to do things like create a little magazine, which you, where you will reach far more women because we'll disseminate it across the estate. Yeah, well, I'd love to read that. Do you think? Do you reckon she'd give me a copy? <laughs> well, she's not done yet, but as soon as it's done, you can read it. That would be great. Um, so, um, again, for people who haven't been following us or um, keeping up to date with um, the Hep C Trust, uh, we have a goal of eliminating hepatitis C from the UK by 2025. Um, could you just uh, explain a little bit about what the mission is and how we intend to get there? Oh, God, goodness, how we intend to get there. <laughs> uh, I mean, so we do, we have a goal to eliminate hepatitis C by 2025. So how we've come, how this has come about is that our previous um, CEO, and in fact, maybe this is a good place just to say a bit more about the trust. You know, so the, the trust, yeah, was, sure. um, the hepatitis C trust was formed by a group of people all affected by hepatitis C who couldn't find any support anywhere. Um, they're based in the UK, couldn't find any support they could find lots of support for HIV, but none for hepatitis C. So four of them got together and decided that they'd set up the hepatitis C trust for patients. Um, and their idea in the beginning was about 
setting up a website with some uh, good, clear information um, and so that people could have, yeah, so they could have some information, basically. You know, I know myself that when I was first diagnosed, I knew about hepatitis C because it was the world that I'd come from, but I actually didn't really have any real information on it. And when I searched, by the time I found out, I, I actually came across the Hepatitis C Trust website. You know, and what was really good for me then was not only did it give you the, the kind of scientific or medical side, but also they, on the website at that time, there were lots of um, personal stories. And I think personal stories are a fantastic way to relate to other people and not feel so alone. But very quickly after that, um, so of the four friends, Charles was one of them, Charles Gore, and he, I don't know how, you'd have to ask one of the other founders, but he uh, took on the role of running the trust. And uh, very quickly, they brought in a helpline. So that's Sam May, who's still to this day running the helpline. So I think she's been with the trust about 15 years. Um, so she's, and the helpline was set up. And, and at that time, um, people affected by hepatitis C would come in, they'd volunteer on the helpline. And the ethos of the organization was that, and it has remained, that we are a patient-led and a patient-run organization. So most of our board members, have been affected by hepatitis C. They've either had it or they've been affected by it. I would say 98% of our staff have been affected by or have had hepatitis C. Um, and we have an incredibly large staff team now compared to a few years ago. So for many years, um, Charles's focus was to get hepatitis C on the agenda, to get it on the government's agenda, to raise awareness around it. Um, and, you know, he was, highly skilled at um, getting himself in front of the right clinicians in the right technical appraisals in front of the right ministers and lobbying for hepatitis C you know and over those initial years the trusted to most the most incredible work lots of pilots lots of promotion and, and they raised lots of awareness and I, I think really that the trajectory of the trust can be drawn along the lines of the of the treatment and the access to treatment. So when I joined the trust five years ago, um, the DAA, so the direct acting antivirals, had been trialed and they were just about, just about to be um, go through the NICE process to see whether they could be used across the country. You know, and the revelation, I think, and I said it earlier, that the fact that you could have a pill rather than interfering was just incredible. You know, our, our helpline was so busy, you know, the, the needs of people who had hepatitis C, who were going through interferon treatment, or who had hepatitis C and didn't want to go through interferon treatment, who just found out they got it, or um, was, you know, incredibly overwhelming. Um, and please don't let me forget, but, you know, there's another cohort that we have to talk about as well within this. So, you know, we can't just talk about the people who were, you know, it's the bigger percentage are affected by hepatitis C are those who, who inject drugs. But there are a cohort who received blood or blood products by, through the NHS prior to 1992. Yeah. You know, and um, we, we have throughout our history supported people who have been affected by hepatitis C through the receipt of blood or blood products. It's not as big a cohort, but it's a really big cohort. And, you know, you know, the emotional turmoil 
that having a disease like HIV or hepatitis C is bad enough on its own, let alone if you were given it um, and it wasn't through a recreational choice or a, yeah. a, a lifestyle choice. Um, I'm not saying other people chose, but you kind of, if you're using drugs, part and parcel of it is you could, you're, going, you're setting yourself up to catch something, you know, and, and it's really whether you are aware of it or not, that's part of what you're signing up to. You are not signing up to um, hepatitis C or HIV, or you weren't when you were receiving blood and blood products. So it's an enormous issue. And we, you know, as you know, we've got um, the infected blood inquiry has been running for about a year now anyway. So there is a big um, review on it. And um, we are a part of that. And we're supporting people who are going through that process as well. Um, so we've got, so the, the, the trust kind of built over the next few years um, and Charles set up, you know, so with this awareness raised in the UK, he also set up another organisation called the World Hepatitis Alliance with a very similar goal, which was to raise hepatitis C, you know, on the global, across the globe, to raise it across the global context. So he um, went to every single so the World Hepatitis Alliance is an um, umbrella organisation that supports patient organisations. And he went to every single government in the world, I kid you not, he has, I can't tell you how many passports he has, to meet with senior um, government ministers or health ministers or health uh, seniors to talk about and raise awareness of hepatitis C. Along the same time, he did some work with the World Health Organization. And in fact, he seconded somebody from there to work within the Alliance and supported the World Health Organization to work the, to write the strategic goals. Um, and one of them being around the elimination of hepatitis C. So this all coincides with the new treatments being available, um, more access being available to them. So, um, and within this elimination goal, you have hepatitis B and hepatitis C. So it's really important to make the distinction though. So with hepatitis C, there's a vaccine. And if in theory, you can, you can vaccinate the majority of those most at risk or um, a high population, you can eliminate a disease. If you have a cure, you can eliminate a disease. But with hepatitis B, there is a vaccine and no cure. With hepatitis C, there is no vaccine, but there is a cure. So the World Health Organization um, signed up to the elimination of hepatitis C and hepatitis B by 2030. Um, so with the hepatitis C, at the same time as the, um, as the DAAs, one of the things about the prevalences is that we, we've, we know there's this estimate, but actually people who've got hepatitis C don't know they've got it. So there's this estimate that's been calculated, but the actual individual isn't aware of the fact that they've got it. So in 2010, the Hepatitis C Trust um, piloted a program using peer support. And that was about um, a peer going to a drug service and telling their story. So someone who'd been affected by hepatitis C going and sharing their story, their story, when I say their story, you know, in kind of they're using drugs um, and um, yeah. how got hepatitis C and within that they would weave in five key messages around harm minimization so you know how to keep yourself safe other information around hepatitis C around transmission routes etc yeah 
Um, and at the time, this program was really successful, but it was embedded into drug services. You know, and part of the model of the trust at that time was to be to go out and educate and to teach, but not to deliver services ourselves. Okay. Um, and then if you, you know, and as we roll on a few more years, the peer support um, role became really successful. Funding in drug services reduced significantly, which meant that they had less volunteering structure. So it became harder for us to embed the program within the drug services. So we employed, we secured some funding from Comet Relief and we employed our first peer support worker. That was um, five years ago. And today, oh. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know how, how is best to, you know, today we have a staff team of 62. So, you know, we have adapted the role of the peer support worker. We've learned from it. We've had it, we've evaluated it. Um, and we have, we have a proven model. We've got lots of different adaptions now. So whereby we support people all the way through to the clinic. So we have a project we call Follow Me. We have a peer support lead who we pay, and then we recruit volunteers. And what we hope as we recruit volunteers is that we support them through their journey of wherever they're at. You know, they've normally been through the treatment. They might be quite new in recovery or, you know, not taking drugs. Some of them might be still taking methadone or something, but we support them to um, upskill them. Um, some of them have gone on to employment with the trust. Um, so we kept that ethos of yeah. um, patient focus, patients being in the center of everything that we do. You know, most recently, um, in 2019, um, NHS England uh, signed off an elimination deal with three pharmaceutical companies. But when we did this, when this elimination deal was, as did most countries in the world, when we did this elimination deal, um, the ambition for the UK now, for England now, is that we eliminate by 2025. This isn't just about the pharmaceutical industry providing drugs. What it's about is the, the, the for the first time ever, in fact, I think, um, the pharmaceutical industry were asked to develop or work with other organisations to, to develop um, case finding initiatives. And part of the case finding initiatives that um, secured money through the NHS tender was were peer support. So um, last year, our team increased significantly. Um, we recruited another 18 staff members. And really, I guess we've just gone from success to success, um, which is completely down to the um, dedication and the expertise and the skill and the passion that our staff members have. They are fantastic about going out, yeah. um, finding people, supporting people, changing the message and it's quite it's, it's quite interesting as a ceo because when you you know when we go out and we advertise these roles and then people secure them and then they have their induction and we we meet them yeah you know, and i'll always meet everybody that comes in i always meet them and sit with them and give them a bit of history to the trust you know and i always say to them you know you do know this job isn't for life and they're like yeah yeah, yeah no i know i'm really happy you know we have this ambition that we will close in 2025 and that, you know, most charities adapt what they're doing and carry on doing something else. We won't. We were set up to raise awareness and support people affected by hepatitis C. Mm. We will close, you know, hopefully in 2025, 
because we won't be needed mm. you know yeah. and that that in it's you know, and we're not there yet you know and whilst it all sounds fantastic because you know everything you know we have this incredible you know we have an enormous staff team and the work is fantastic there's lots of other initiatives there's some incredible partnership working with drug services with nurses you know there's a whole cohort of people that are on board um but it's time limited you know and it, time limited is dependent on resources which is finance so um it's not an easy job you know mm. we're not there yet but you know we are making strides forward i i was within in this webinar last week you know and mark gillian power from nhs england who leads on the hep c program you know he said last year we we have now treated fifty thousand people which is incredible. Mm. You know, 50,000 people have been cured from hepatitis C. Yeah, it's brilliant. And we're not there yet, but we can get there. And I guess that, you know, for us, you know, for the minute, you know, we're in a fortunate position because um, we have a little bit of funding, but nothing lasts forever. And I, and I guess, you know, as with any organization, the funding that we have is limited is specific to the peer support roles and outside of that the work that we do with the infected blood inquiry um which is so important so so important um uh, yeah. you know we don't have funding for that so we need to find additional funding for that um and i guess it's just about uh, being in a position where we can you know address all the needs as they arise you know whether you know for people that are affected by hepatitis C um, I am so grateful that we're in the position that we are you know I mean a lot of organizations really struggled during the COVID I know people made redundant people were furloughed we have been so fortunate you know that we didn't yeah. have to furlough anybody we haven't had to make anybody redundant and that is an incredible position to yeah. be in. I yeah. think that's that is definitely testament to just how cohesive and like how um well well managed the organization is by people like yourself so that's definitely and like you know we we get to see firsthand working in the building with you all just how much there's always so much good and positive communication between all of you um and that's definitely come to the fore during this time so yeah it's really great work and obviously we've just launched the auction today which we're really excited about um, yeah so we're very excited to hopefully raise some some more funds um to put towards the brilliant work that the trust do it's absolutely fantastic because the funds that are, are raised on art and a postcard are so important you know we we work you know and as I said earlier, you know, we're really grateful and we work with the peer support leads, but these, this is all restricted funding. And we also do a lot of work with our peers, like I've talked about during COVID, you know, and those, you know, a lot of the funds that we, you know, they're, they're not restricted funds that we use for that. We, we do work like that um, out of our core, you know, some money that anything that, you know, kind of comes in off from art and a postcard or something, something like that, or donations, you know, it makes that those additional pieces of work um, possible yeah and something about you know being able to provide some kind of journey for people who start with us as a volunteer and then you know support them through that process and that pathway back into um 
employment or you know i hate that expression but you know normal life i mean i don't know what that means who knows what a normal life is particularly now mm -hmm, but, yeah you know just to, just to have some those resources it's you know we are really proud of art and the postcard as well and we love the fact that it raises it raises awareness of hepatitis c in a different forum as well because i i think the other thing just to add on the end is you know there is this real um question mark over the actual numbers so you know we you know it's people who've injected drugs etc but there's a lot of people out there who will be in their 50s now who you know kind of as a passage of growth passage of the rights you know of a teenager might have had a you know might have tried drugs might have had an injection and just thought not for me and then just carried on and actually as you grow up you don't associate yourself as the same person as you were then might not even think that they yeah. could be at risk and actually we call them the baby boomers in america there was a lot of work done with the baby boomers and in fact everybody over 50 was tested it isn't something that we've been able to do in this country yet and um it's something we really struggle with you know we had this incredible woman that spoke at our um patient conference a few years ago and she was such a a fantastic example you know she had a really high flying job yeah uh, and um she just felt really unwell and had had these really weird symptoms because that's the thing about hepatitis c it's asymptomatic you can quite easily think that you're just tired or you feel a bit run down um, but it'd been going on for a while and anyway she ended up going and getting a hepatitis c test um, amongst other tests and she was hepatitis c positive and it was once she had injected in her when she was at university wow. yeah, and it was like 30 years previously yeah but, but what's important is is that you know that hepatitis c takes a long time to have an impact on your liver but my goodness, when it has an impact, you need to, you know, you really need to try and catch it before it has that impact. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, 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 is that leading to liver cirrhosis? Yeah. Cirrhosis and, and then cancer, you know, and... Um, yeah. I, I, I guess, you know, you know, for me, it was this time last year and I lost my best friend and she died as a consequence of hepatitis C because her liver, um, her liver failed basically because so mm. much of it was cirrhosed and she had cancer on her liver, you know, and that's the reality of hepatitis C mm. that is left untreated for too long. Yeah. Yeah. That must just going through something like that, that must just totally, you know, I just re reaffirm for you how important it is that this work gets done. Oh my God, yeah. Um, I think more than anything, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is, is that no one needs to die. This is just so easy, you know. It's a really simple treatment. It's a yeah. really easy cure. You know, it, the cure rate is something like 98, 99%. And if, if you happen to be one of those 1%, there's another type of medication that will cure you instead. Wow. You know, so, you know, there is no one who needs to live through what my friend lived through. And there is no one who needs to die. You just need to get tested and treated. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just about that awareness uh, yeah. to get it out to people and then also getting to them. Um, as you yeah. do so yeah really brilliant work and I always find it so inspiring and it's always so great just to like check in with you or anyone else at the trust just to hear about you know 
the specifics of actually what's yeah. going on um and yeah it's just really great really inspiring and um yeah really really hope we can raise some good money <laughs> this this auction some fantastic art i mean goodness it's just pops every time yeah. I, you know i follow it and uh, of course and i've seen it and it really pops you know i think that the women's one was incredible too there was something about the the color or the artists or whether it's because we've been in great times i don't know but there's mm. some fantastic artwork within there yeah i definitely agree it's a really colorful it's just great for summer as well i just think it's come at such a good time the artwork that we've got in we've never had an an exhibition so colourful um, yeah. and with such a diverse array of artists. So it's just great that it's come middle of summer and then also at a time when I think we all really need a bit of cheering up and a bit of colour in our lives. Oh, absolutely. You couldn't have said it better. I think yeah. you know, it's just now about how we move forward, isn't it? And yeah. I, I, like I said in the beginning, I don't think it's going to be easy, but you know, for everybody. I mean, I guess in terms of Hep C, you know, you know, we've got concerns moving forward about, you know, how are people going to be tested if we've still got this, you know, with all the restrictions. It's changing really quickly. So hopefully, yeah. you know, we'll just find other ways of doing it. I think that that's, you know, and I, I, it's really important that I acknowledge, you know, and I, you know, I think I've said it before, but, you know, the people that we work with, the other organisations, the hospitals, the NHS Trust, the nurses, the drug service, the homeless workers, because there's there's been a real part, you know, it is the partnerships that make, make it possible for us all to make this happen. And I think there's something really unique about having that common goal and pushing it forward. Yeah. Um, and of course we push, you know, and tell them, art and a postcard. <laughs> yeah exactly um well thanks so so much rachel for giving up um some time today it's... no no you really well i hope that you can there's some of that that you can use it's, yeah. i think i think i think people will find it really interesting and i think people will find it really surprising as well like you know it's like you're saying getting to people in, in the homeless hospitals and people um in prison those two things the homeless thing, I, that was on the news last night. Um, the hospitals was on, on the news last the night. Hotels. Yeah. The hotels. Um, yeah. And also the prison thing across like the whole world right now, there's a call to reform uh, prisons and um, yeah. prison health. And, um, and even to the point of a lot of people are saying that we need to defund the police and invest in other organisations that can care for prisoners in the ways that, they need um in order to reform themselves and um I think get off to another forget, start yeah people forget we're really fortunate in this country you know but people forget health is a human right yeah and if, particularly when you you know there are some countries in europe geez particularly um eastern europe where um yeah we're really privileged in this country and ours you know and we're not by any means the best in the world but we are privileged in comparison to a lot of countries yeah definitely it's shocking it yeah shocking. definitely okay well have a lovely it's day lovely. thank you rosa yeah take care very warm all of a sudden <laughs> i know it's roasting out there <laughs> um i hope you can catch them with the sun yeah all right take care Bye. today's episode was brought to you by art and a postcard 
You're listening to Series 3, A Colourful Summer, all about our upcoming summer auction between the 25th of June and the 9th of July. You can bid for all artworks online and each work starts at just £50. As always, all proceeds go towards the Hepatitis C Trust and their campaign to eliminate the virus by 2025. If you're liking the podcast, please do like, subscribe, share and tell all your friends about it. It all helps to get the word out and it all comes back to the hard work and efforts of the charity. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful week.